1: Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stephon Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. And today we're bringing back one of my favorite. I had such a good time doing this one. It's when we did A Tale of Two Holiday Superhero Movies. Oh, yeah. That was the <laughs> beginning. Yeah. Of the movies that was that was a fun one yeah because we did kind of quote non-traditional holiday movies and i had never seen batman returns i got to watch it it was great uh we talked about iron man 3 and bonus spider-man into the spider-verse which is it does fit it did but i had such a i had such a fun time doing this one uh so please enjoy this classic episode Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You, production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. It's time for another Feminist Movie Friday. Yay! We're going to make this a thing.
0: So, wait, this is because it's coming out on Friday, not that we're watching it on Friday?
1: It's however it fits into the lives of whoever's listening. Friday, Yes. It should publish on Fridays, <laughs> but if you don't watch it on a Friday, that's totally cool. <laughs> if you don't watch it ever, that's also totally cool. Are you saying say listen? Yeah. Okay. Well, no, no. Are I'm talking, talking about, about the, movies. the movie. Oh, okay. okay well, okay. yeah. See, there's a lot of things. You could make this work on Friday yeah, however you want I'm very confused to. about, you know, what senses we're supposed to be using right now. That seems to be a general confusion we have. They just been general confused. Yes. Um so I got to choose the last movie for uh, feminist movie Friday. Yeah. And so this one it was more of a uh, Samantha choice. I feel like it was a team effort because we were both trying to
0: figure out what movie is holiday but without being too holiday.
1: Right, because like we talked about in our um Emotional labor. Holiday edition episode. Samantha's not a big holiday fan. No. Nope. And um, back when I was sort of semi-hostless, uh, I did a holiday movie overview with uh, my friend Katie. It was mostly Hallmark movies. Yes. Hi, Katie. She's Hi, an expert Katie. in those. Um, but we thought we'd tackle some lesser discussed holiday movies today. Uh, so that you, this is more than one film,
0: right? But to be fair,
1: yes. The movie that I
0: chose, uh-huh. it's very much. Like, even though they no- might not be singing holiday carols, uh-huh. there's a lot of holiday decorations in the entire movie.
1: Yes. And and so we've built it up. Here we go. We're talking about Batman Returns. Yeah. With a little bit of Iron Man 3. A little bit. And a little bit of Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Very little.
0: Yes. Um, I would like to say, though, we will be coming back to the craft and the many yes. suggestions you guys had. Mm-hmm. We decided to go ahead and start our holiday addition uh-huh. with a little bit of a feminist turn. Again, I don't like holidays. Um, although I, I kind of enjoy some holiday movies. I already said that I like Love Actually, and that is an absolute yeah. holiday movie. But uh-huh. that was just too on the nose
1: for yeah. us. Yeah. Well, and a lot of them, as we discussed, I think in the past past episode, um, hard to have much feminist discussion in them unless we're just like, well, this is all a problem here. <laughs> Um, and surprisingly, Batman Returns, there's a lot to be said. A lot
0: to be said. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you were surprised. And somehow, we wedged a viewing in for both Batman Returns and Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse on Sunday. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. It was, and, I, and then we had even, like, uh, Harry Potter in there. So, it was yeah. a long night. It was a very long night. Um, yeah. Also, I feel like, uh... I missed an opportunity to have the live interaction commentary that you put on, Annie. (laughs) Uh, It's almost as entertaining as the actual movie. And so if you guys ever want to treat, if I could ever live stream you watching (gasps) Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, and it will never be a clip of the movie. It's just you squealing (laughs) at the movie the entire time. It's oh man! I had about curvy dots, curvy dots, and the lines. Yes, and the frame rate. And the it was so. And I'm I'm so my friend Joe was there, and the two of you were just having a back and forth, and I kept looking at both of you, going, "You guys are the worst people to watch movies with." Yeah,
1: yeah. I really couldn't contain my enthusiasm. Uh, I appreciate that you let me have that. Oh, oh! one day we're gonna do it again, and I'm gonna live stream it for everyone. (laughs) I was very excited. <laughs> I didn't know we were gonna get to watch that. That was kind of a, a bonus. A little treat. Yes. Um so we will return to that at the very end. And if I I wanna do spoiled Saturdays where we just have a take on something that's really recent, and if you don't want to be spoiled, then
0: don't yeah. listen. I so, feel like but, we could talk about The Joker, and,
1: like what we talked about previously, and then um, so, so, Midsummer. I have, yeah, I have so many horror movies that yeah. I'm like, oh, please let me talk about this. Um, but okay, today we're talking about Batman Returns. Batman Returns. Yeah, and um, for this, I did want to do a really quick overview of Catwoman, because she's pretty much what we're going to be talking about right. in terms of this movie. Um and she's been around a long, long time. I think definitely future episode because there is a lot to be said about her. Mm-hmm. But uh, quickly, um, she first appeared in 1940, right. meaning that she's been through the first, second, third, and fourth, if you want to call it that, waves of feminism. She was designed by Jerry Robinson and Bob Kane. Only three women have written for her so far, and she's only ever been drawn by men, if you're wondering. Um, she was one of the first ever female comic book superheroes, in quotes. Um, (laughs) Her name is Selina Kyle, and she's a cat burglar in a cat suit. Uh, She's often painted as an anti-hero and sometimes a villain and sometimes a hero, and this allows her to operate in a space where she's tough to pin down. Um, She's more than Batman's sometimes love interest. Over the years, she's been played by a handful of people, from Michelle Pfeiffer to Halle Berry to Anne Hathaway, and I think I was telling you, Samantha, I'm pretty sure... Most of the mainstream women who've played her have all been nominated for Oscars or yeah. won os- right. Oscars. Right. So, hey. Yeah. yeah. Um, And yes, in most depictions, she is highly sexualized. Her outfit is similar to what a dominatrix would wear, down to the whip, which is usually her weapon of choice. And then there's this quote. Um, Bob Kane once said of Catwoman... I felt that women were feline creatures and men were more like dogs. While dogs are faithful and friendly, cats are cool, detached, and unreliable. I felt much warmer with dogs around me. Cats are as hard to understand as women are. Men feel more sure of themselves with a male friend than a woman. You always need to keep women at arm's length. We don't want anyone taking over our souls, and women have a habit of doing that. So there's a love-resentment thing with women. I guess women will feel that I'm being chauvinistic to speak this way, but I do feel that I've had better relationships with male friends than women. With women, once the romance is over, somehow they never remain my friends. Of course not. So this is the person who created Catwoman. Uh, (laughs) That might give you some insight into the character. This also might. uh, She was created in part to combat talk of homoeroticism between Batman and Robin and to reinforce Batman's heterosexuality.
0: Yeah. Catwoman was banned from the comics in the 50s because of the comic code that dictated that crime should never be seen to pay. And Catwoman was not acting like how a woman should behave. Oh, no. And she didn't return until the 1960s. She was originally played by Julie Newmar in the 1960s TV series with Adam West, um, who was also... Then later on, played by Eartha Kitt in the final season of that series, apparently because Julie Amaro was in a movie contract. She has different origin stories. So the first being known as The Cat, yeah. who carries the whip and has high-stakes thievery.
1: Uh-huh, yes, <laughs> high-stakes thievery.
0: Um, to a stewardess with amnesia that turned to crime that then later... Assisted Batman in stopping crime uh, to the now, well, not the now to the what we're talking about, right? Ninety-two version of the revenge-seeking receptionist
1: uh, or assistant.
0: an assistant uh-huh. um, to Anne Hathaway's original take on the high-stakes thief,
1: right? And throughout these various incarnations, one thing that has remained steady is that she is sexualized and the power her body has over others. However, since she is catering to the male gaze, it's really hard to say what is power and what is objectification. Um, And I have felt this when I've dressed as her because I have had a lot of super gross comments made to me, um, including one that really stands out, uh, where this guy said that I, quote, knew exactly what I was doing dressing as her
0: that's very rapey it was gross That's a very rapey comment uh side note here uh, according to some in the original series um and then when we see it again in both batman returns and dark Knight, the love story link between batman and catwoman uh existed however when eartha kitt portrayed the role as catwoman because she was african-american and because adam west is was white writers and creators felt it was too taboo and not suitable right for them to be a on-screen romance, so they changed that story to being Batgirl and Batman.
1: Yes, and which is yeah, bleh. yeah, and sh- uh, Batgirl. There was also Batwoman who was introduced when Catwoman was. You know, oh, quietly right. shoot off that's the stage. Right. Who's like, see, heteronormativity, family. She was like the mom, the boring mom, of and then Batman is the dad. Of Robin no their side. And I remember in the
0: because I did watch the series. I don't know. I guess I really liked the Adam West series growing mm-hmm. up, uh, where Batgirl was very the girl next door. Yeah. while catwoman yes. was the bad girl. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, the plot.
1: Yeah, how would you describe this the plot because
0: plot. it's a little convoluted. There's so many things because you know, this is the beginning where they were having more than one anti-hero villain into yeah. the stories. So, Batman returns in the 1992 Batman sequel, directed by Tim Burton, with a script by Daniel Waters. This is the same dude that did the script for Heathers. Yes. Which, oh, Annie, I, you acknowledged. Pattern. Yes, I'm seeing I do. A pattern here with and you. that's going to be another movie that I think we need to revisit. Mm-hmm. Um, Michael Keaton plays Bruce Wayne, Batman, who is doing his best to protect Gotham from a corrupt industrialist. Named Max Shrek, who was played by the wonderful Christopher
1: Walken. His eyebrows were oh, brushed oh, up. Oh, you so guys. good.
0: <laughs> and a crime boss known as The Penguin by the who else could it be but Danny DeVito? Like I don't Genius know stroke. if there's gonna be anyone who could replace that. Right. And it takes place ta-ta-da. At Christmas time, yeah, a giant tree. at The opening scene. There's multiple
1: Christmas tree lightings. Yes,
0: that's multiple. Yes, that's true. Presents. There's a big of all of that. present
1: box that's used as a Trojan yes, horse.
0: Yes, to bring in all of the crazy clowns. Apparently, circuses. Something to do with it, as well as zoos. Okay, yeah. so according to the Amazon description. Yeah, let's
1: see what how Amazon so describes.
0: it. So it's Batman. Kate Crusader is pitted against demented, ravenous penguin, pitiful, orphaned, psychopathic freak, and power-hungry capitalist villain. Max Shrek. So, no mention of Captain. Of course not, even though that was really, really one of the. Like that, honestly, between her and Danny DeVito and Christopher Walken, I remembered. Michelle Pfeiffer in the movie.
1: Yeah, and that's what a lot of people seem to say when I tell them what, when I would say we're doing this episode and they would immediately be like, oh, the iconic like Right. Um, and also, I just want to mention, my favorite part of this Amazon description is that power is in quotes. Of course. Because he's, there's a power plant involved. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> a silly pun you that's only to... would
0: get if you've seen it. In a Marvel, not a Marvel, a DC movie for sure. Yeah. Because also the original... Batman series, had all of the kind of uh, puns.
1: Oh, oh, absolutely. So I think it kind of gave a lineage to that. Well, yeah, they, they definitely leaned in in this one. I haven't seen... So, disclaimer, I've seen all of these era of Batman movies. I've seen all the Christopher Nolan ones, but I saw them all in one very drunken day. Right. So I only remember bits and pieces. Um. But, oh, Samantha and I did rewatch this one for this show, so yes. I, I have seen it. But I do, I've, I got a sense that they really leaned hard into those puns.
0: Right. I think the second one was a little more, because the first one was also by Tim Burton, and I feel like you see the same darkness, but the second one seems a little kitschier. Mm. But to be fair, I guess, you have that origin story of Batman, so the darkness of, you know, seeing his parents die and all of that, and his, him coming out to the community as, you know, this vengeful... Right. Hero. Uh, But you do also have the Joker doing a majority of the puns and being somewhat kitschy. Mm. As in the second one, I think it's just kind of all happened. And you did mention about the fact that there wasn't many scenes with Keaton.
1: Yeah, that's one of my favorite parts of the movie, actually. He's in, like, a fourth of it. Um, He's really not about him, in my opinion. No. Um, especially the first half. Yeah, like, it definitely what? was all the, the <laughs> origin stories for Catwoman. Yes, and I love that. So let's talk about Catwoman. Yes. So Michelle Pfeiffer played her, Selena Kyle, um, slash Catwoman. And when the movie starts, Selena Kyle is the embodiment of the crazy cat lady. Um, she's sort of frumpy in her outfit. Um, she has these glasses on, which we all know in the 80s, that meant, well, about, it still, I guess, means that? Yeah, people not still sexy. use that
0: as a thing of like, unless you're doing library-esque uh, yeah, type yeah, of yeah. thing, librarian-esque, mm-hmm. is still like the transformative
1: moment. Yeah, you take off the glasses. Which is ridiculous. And...
0: and by the way, Michelle Pfeiffer Frumpy is an oxymoron. It doesn't know. happen. It doesn't <laughs> happen.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, she says, I love this, when she gets into her empty apartment, she says, honey, I'm home. Oh, I forgot I'm not married. Right, right. <laughs> um, and she is the executive assistant slash secretary right. of Max Schreck, um, who is the ultimate sexist boss. He regularly demeans her. He dismisses her. He humiliates her, like, publicly. Um, when she speaks... Uh, she does so as though she doesn't want to be heard, and she voices things in questions. Um, after she, what does is, what is Christopher Walken say? We haven't housebroken her yet. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And he leaves, and then she calls herself a corn dog herself, like, you're so stupid, you corn dog." Um, Which is a great phrase. I'm going to use that. I'm going to call everyone a corn dog. I haven't heard that insult in a long time, and I really appreciated it, <laughs> um, especially coming from Michelle Pfeiffer. Right. It's very funny. Um, and then this is around the time where the, the Christmas present thing goes wrong and Michelle Pfeiffer gets attacked and is held hostage by a clown. Yes. Um, and well, and he has like a taser and Batman saves her and then kind of just leaves. Uh, because she's invisible at that point. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and then uh, she has to go back to work late and she discovers that her boss is up to no good. Up to no good. Yeah, she's... Basically, she's smart enough to be be like, wait a minute, your power plant is gonna suck power from the city. What's going on? And then he's like, oh, you're very good at your job. Too good, perhaps. Um, And he pushes her out a window. (laughs) And uh, he... Yeah, in his mind, what value did she have? A poor, lonely woman. He just... Pushed her out the window. Right. Yeah. And this is when she becomes Catwoman, I guess, after a bunch of cats walk all over her and one bites her. Yeah, we do see, her, see it nibbling on her finger. And there's blood involved. Um, and so she, I love this, she goes home. <laughs> she looks like a zombie. Yes. Um, and she says, honey, I'm home again. Uh, and then she listens to her answering machine. And there are three messages on it, Uh, one from her mother, uh, one from her ex, well, basically her boyfriend breaking up with her, says his therapist said he doesn't need an appendage anymore. Um, And then a third one, which is from a perfume company that's basically pushing how women's sexuality is their currency, which, by the way, is a callback to her comic book roots as a sex worker, Mm. Um, and um, how capitalism profits off of that, like the systemic kind of sexualization, objectification of women. And also, it's from her boss's company. It's her boss's department store. So, she really uh, (laughs) transforms. So, she gets... um, like black spray paint and starts spray painting her apartment which by the way is like all pink and really kind of girly well there's stuffed animals as we discussed yeah it was very
0: much of a young young girl right trying to grow up to be a woman it was a transformation to be a woman
1: yeah so she gets out of the black spray paint spraying things down she goes into her, her closet and pulls out a black jacket um, and starts kind of frantically sewing it together to make this cat suit. And um, I just want to like reiterate she survived the attempted murder, returns home, and thinks to herself, revenge, <laughs> but first outfit. <laughs> I love it. Who
0: does it through that? I mean, you can't kick someone in
1: a skirt, which is what <laughs> she's been wearing the entire yeah, yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, as part of this transformation, her voice becomes deeper, kind of cat like and. Purring, mm-hmm. um, she uh, she has this sign, a, a neon sign that said hello there, but she breaks it so that it instead says hell here. That's one of my favorite things. Right. I want that. You want sign. that. It's very pink as well. It's a reminder. Yeah, the sign is pink, um, and I feel like this scene is a very screw you to the white picket fence kind of perfect life that we've a lot of us have been told. This is success. This is the only way. Um, so, yeah, she becomes overcome with a self-destructive desire for revenge. Um, and in this way, she's a great mirror for Bruce Wayne's character, where he is all about justice, she is all about vengeance. Um, he is a member of the wealthiest class, she decidedly is not. She is torn between, um, what she should do and what she wants to do, between the tragedy of her past and the potential to make the future into something better, And Batman even says to her at the very end, we're the same, split right down the center. And yeah, I do like that it's her origin story we see. Uh, Batman saves her, and then she stabs him, which seems to be a direct criticism of the damsel in distress. He offers her a fairy tale, uh, the ending women have been taught to want, and she is like, oh, I couldn't live with myself, and then scratches him in the face. Yes, and leaves a hook. Or a claw. Yeah. I a claw. Uh,
0: she is not a sex object, or at least she is that and something else. She is scary, unhinged, and a total nightmare. Yeah. That crazy girl, right? Pfeiffer put a live bird in her mouth for this movie, which Six you told seconds. me about. Yeah, and I was like, oh my gosh, she actually did this. And Penguin, who totally does objectify her, describes her as beauty and the beast in one luscious Christmas gift pack.
1: Yeah. Also,
0: he's just disgusting in every way.
1: Yeah. Um, and... When she, they kind of make a pact to work together to take down Batman, and when she refuses his advances, because in his mind there was going to be this romantic sexual component to them working together, and when she's she refuses his advances, he says, you sent out all the signals, you lousy minx, I ought to have you spayed. And then he attacks her and costs her one of her nine lives. Um, And also of note in this conversation, Penguin does he die? He dies. Yeah, he dies. Uh, when he picks the cute yeah. umbrella at the end, the feminine one, uh, which does nothing against the white heteronormative masculinity of Batman. Yes. Uh, and also um, a- another line we wanted to showcase is when Catwoman, one of the first things she does is break into department store owned by uh, her boss. Right. Uh, and these two guards see her, and she's in this very sexual, sexualized outfit, very sexy. Uh, and one of them says, oh, I don't know whether to attack or take her home. Uh, uh, or what, maybe he says I'm in love. Anyway, basically, should I attack her or try to get with her? And Catwoman says, you men always confusing your pistols with your privates. Yes. Very sultry-like, too. Yes. And then she just blows up the department. She doesn't steal jewelry. No. Uh, And she tells him to leave. Yeah. Yeah, She doesn't kill anybody yet. Yet. That's when she gets the whip, uh, her weapon. Um, And then when (laughs) Batman attacks her... She says something like, how dare you? I'm a woman. But then immediately strikes back and finishes her thought with, as I was saying, I'm a woman and can't be taken for granted. Life's a bitch, now so am I. Hell yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, she really leans hard, I felt like, into the... Hysterical label that has so long been used against women. Right, she just went for it.
0: She did. You're gonna, gonna call me back? that? I okay, crazy cat lady. I'm gonna be a
1: crazy cat lady. Crazy cat lady. <laughs> exactly. Uh, oh yeah, and I just want to say, talk about some ust unresolved sexual tension. Yes, I did read a lot of accounts from people who saw this when they were uh, maybe adolescents and were saying that it was a real formative. <laughs> it really was. Her licking his face alone was like, oh. Uh! Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) Yep. Um and then yeah, after Batman kind of offers her this fairy tale ending, um, she refuses and instead she dies getting her revenge on Shrek. But she has one life left, so maybe she didn't die. And now you see spoiler alert. You do see her at the end. Do you? Mm. -hmm. I don't remember. I remember he gets out of the car and She's the one looking at the bat sign. Oh, is she? Yes. I was, you
0: were the one that called it out.
1: I was checked out, friend.
0: <laughs> All right, so when this movie came out, it was in the middle of the third wave feminism, and some people have interpreted Catwoman's storyline as a feminist awaking and finding identity. I would agree with that. One of her first acts as Catwoman is rescuing a woman from rape and then berating that woman for acting like a victim. And she's not looking to be a hero. She's just enraged and, knocking and looking to break the patriarchal system. She's angry at everyone who participate in it in her mind allows to continue it. Uh, So, as she says, you make it easy, don't you? Always waiting for some Batman to save you. I am Catwoman.
1: Hear me roar. Yeah, that was the first thing she did when she got out. And she even says to uh, the potential... Victim. The the man attacking her, uh, go easy on me, it's my first time.
0: Yes, yes. Yes. Because he was like, what? So, also perhaps she's yelling at her past self who she is saved by Batman early on in the movie, when we were talking about with the circus people. Right. Um, and she takes the taser from that attacker and later weaponizes it against her enemies, which she did actually use on that clown as well, but he was already out.
1: Right. She uses it at the end. She, like, puts it in her tongue to and cute. kisses Christopher Walken. Um, mm-hmm. So, like, she's kind kiss of... Kiss of death. Yeah. She's weaponizing her sexuality. I guess you could read it that way. Um, and then taking this weapon... From people who would do her harm and using it against
0: against them, right, because he did try to have the last word and tell her she's fired, yeah. and he
1: tries to kill her and runs out of bullets, yeah, with two of her lives remaining, right, right, and yes, we do have to talk about her outfit. Mm-hmm. Um, it is perhaps one of the most forfeiting outfits ever to grace the big screen um. Pieces of shiny black leather stretched over her body and stabled together as if to represent the fragile nature of her psyche or that she's barely being held together. Um, And the whip, of course. Um, So the whip being more about punishing and pain than about killing. Um, And there was uh, definitely some misogyny in the way critics wrote about about her, Michelle Pfeiffer, and the outfit— um, here's an example from the Rolling Stone. Off to the side, Michael Keaton, a.k.a. Bruce Wayne, a.k.a. Batman, was enjoying the hell out of the moment. Oh, it was tasty. Here was Mrs. two-time Oscar nominee, Mrs. actor's actor, Mrs. total, get it in two takes, professional, held in check by a few pounds of wet, sucking latex in a pair of pointy ears. Ugh. That's a weird uh, comment. Yeah. Um... They had to cover Michelle Pfeiffer and baby powder before she donned the suit, which they then vacuum-packed.
0: Yeah, she just recently talked about it during an interview and about how awful it was and painful it was for her. Yeah. So, cat women outfits ranked. So, many thought pieces on the cat suit. There's different yeah. variations. Some see it as embracing the sexual objectification of women and weaponizing it or maybe rejecting male superhero garb and thus the patriarchy and leaning in hard to the feminine. Yeah. So Julie Newmar, who I really, I watched growing up, and I'm not that old, yeah. so I was I was watching uh, reruns, just uh-huh. want to put that out there before yeah. they think I'm, it's okay to be that old, but I'm not that old, uh-huh. I just want to put that out there. Uh, <laughs> Julie Newmar, who played Catwoman in her first on-screen appearance in the 1960s, uh, wrote in a letter to the Huffington Post, every girl is a Catwoman. There will always be a Catwoman. Catwoman is forever. And her costume was per- perhaps the most tame and the most kitten-like. It was a black sparkly suit, uh, reminiscent of a corset around the waist, complete with a gold belt, and, of course, cat ears. Lee Merriweather, who was in the movie, wore pretty much the same thing when she played her. And then there's Eartha Kitt, who took over from Newmar. Uh, She wore the same thing, but adjusted the placement of the necklace, pulling it higher.
1: Yeah. And then, of course, there's Halle Berry, uh, who played the titular character in Catwoman. Uh, She wore a push-up bra, Leather gloves, whips, uh, tight leather pants, and that's pretty much it. Yeah. Very dominatrixy. I have not seen this film. I've seen parts of it, including the infamous catnip scene, but I know it's about an addictive beauty cream targeted towards women and playing on the fact uh, that all of these high beauty standards we place on women. So we probably would have a lot to say about it. I also know Sharon Stone is the one behind the beauty cream. Right. People are like, don't be telling me Sharon Stone is not hot even if she's older, okay? Right.
0: And she, <laughs> yes, she is beautiful and hot. And also, this is the one that won the Razzie. It, is considered, it was considered one of the worst films pretty bad. Uh, ever created, <laughs> ever made. From scenes I've seen. Uh, but I think also there was a conversation about it being really heavy-handed and yeah. it was trying way too hard. Yeah. I mean, one of the main characters was named Ophelia Powers. Aphilia yeah. Powers. That's Come on, y'all. We can do a little better. But I guess it could Nash. be. <laughs> I was going to say, it could be that we're just looking at a different lens because all the other ones are fairly heavy-handed as well, whether yeah. it's some kind of pun, whether it's some kind of like over-the-top, yeah. whatever. But it just, yeah, it was not a great movie. It made me sad. So you've seen it? Uh, I've seen parts of it. Okay. i finish it. Okay.
1: All right. Just clarify. <laughs> just, n- neither of us has seen it, but from what we have seen, yeah, it. Yes. Le- left some yes. room to be, less some things <laughs> to be desired. Um, and then Anne Hathaway's version. Um, this one, she was meant to be the most functional. Her outfit was meant to be the most functional. It's a black leather stealth suit, and the cat ears were the points of her night vision fancy crime goggles. Um, her stilettos were weapons. I think I've mentioned on the show before I did used to cosplay her, and sometimes I still do, and my experience was everybody loved that costume but they also love telling me that they didn't like Anne Hathaway um oh poor Anne yeah we've talked about that on this show before how people just don't like Anne Hathaway because they see her as Prissy uh she's vegan (laughs) uh persnickety but really it seems to me she just knows what she wants
0: well I was gonna say Natalie Wood would be the same she's a vegan all of those things but she's not as
1: disliked yeah (laughs) seemingly
0: as Anne Hathaway
1: is Maybe that's another, per- another episode. <laughs> um, and then we wanted to end with this uh, for our discussion of Catwoman. Gloria Steinem's review of The Dark Knight and Anna Hathaway's performance read, I saw The Dark Knight returns uh, last night, and among other things, Catwoman is a feminist superhero with a storyline and transformation of her own, plus class consciousness, a girl buddy, equal skills with the Batman equipment, and an apartment of her own in Old Town. And she gets the guy. Yeah, she does. So, yeah, that's, that's kind of our look at uh, Batman Returns with Merry some Christmas. Catwoman extra. Merry Christmas. We do have a little bit more for you, very brief run through. <laughs> uh, but first, we have a quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking.
2: And
1: we're back. Thank you, sponsor. And we're back a little oh. bit with Iron Man 3. Yes. I... I'm going to blaze through this. It's
0: been a minute since I've seen this one, too, and I'm not going to lie. I have a hard time remembering
1: all of this. Okay. Well, I got you. I yes. got you. All yes. right. So we open on Blue by Eiffel 65. The year is 1999. Tony Stark is about to bang a scientist named Maya Hansen, played by Rebecca Hall, who has this plan all about regenerating plants or something. Um he stands up, an awkward Aldrich Killian, played by Guy Pearce. Uh, and then, yes, we skip to the present MCU timeline, post-Avengers Assemble, and Tony has built a bunch of Iron Man suits. And it's Christmas time. Uh, one of the first scenes is uh, him trying on his new Iron Man suit to Jingle Bells, kind of a sassy version of Jingle Bells. Um, and Tony is clearly distant and struggling with... Maybe PTSD, definitely anxiety attacks post New York City and the Avengers, um, which is impacting his relationship with his wife, Pepper Potts. Wait, they weren't married then, would they? I didn't think so, but a lot of places—his re- significant other.
0: Okay, because yeah, they didn't get married until after the first— uh...
1: The the wedding was in yeah, the
0: Avengers Part in, One yeah, Endgame Infinity right.
1: Wars. You're right. So significant other. I why well, put that? <laughs> well, I put that originally, but then everywhere I was reading said wife, and I was like, no, oh, really? Maybe no. they got divorced and then got remarried. Anyway, whatever. <laughs> now, not so awkward and pretty handsome Aldrich Killian shows up to meet Pepper and is very flirtatious with her. Uh, Tony's head of security suspicious stumbles on a mysterious plot, gets severely injured. At the same time, you have a string of terrorist attacks orchestrated by a villain known as the Mandarin. And this has the press clamoring after Tony Stark, a.k.a. Iron Man, asking him if he's going to do something about it. And angry about what happened to his head of security, Happy, Stark challenges the Mandarin on live TV, uh, gives away his home address, which I feel like is pretty obvious where he lives, but whatever. I guess it's the challenge I don't know. Uh, So when he arrives home, Pepper is packing, and also he has once again given her a gift that she clearly doesn't want, a huge rabbit custom-made. At this point, Maya shows up at the door and is like, hey, I think my boss works for the Mandarin. And then all these missiles start pummeling into their house, and Tony is able to save Pepper and uh, Maya Henson, Rebecca Hall's character, uh, by putting them in some of his Iron Man suits and blasting them out. Uh, He manages to escape, but not before his suit takes major damage and is pretty much non-functional when he lands in the middle of nowhere in Tennessee. As he's trying to repair his suit, he meets a young boy who promises to help him secure some supplies uh, because everyone thinks Tony is dead. Um, And then, all right, he finds out about this project called Extremis, Extremis that Maya was working on with Killian that experimented on Injured soldiers to regenerate lost limbs or other injuries, but it left these soldiers unstable. Like, I will explode (laughs) spontaneously unstable. Uh, Iron Man, he's, like, trying to figure out what he's going to do, how he's going to save the day. He's on the verge of a panic attack when the kid says, build something. You build things, right? Just go build something. So he goes back to his roots. Um, and as this is happening, Pepper is captured by Maya, who is working for Killian, and is used in the extremist experiment. Um, Killian even tells her that she is a trophy uh, when she's strapped into this pod in a sports bra and tight pants. Uh, then Tony is captured after he discovers that the Mandarin is just an English actor pretending to be a terrorist. Um, and this is a big twist in the movie because he's a huge villain in the comics. Um, Tony, is, he attempts to break out, but then uh, Maya tries to save him when he fails, and then Killian just shoots her instead of, of listening to her because she's like, you won't be able to solve your problems without me. I'm your scientist. And he just kills her. Um, and also... The president has been captured, and this all culminates in a battle between a superhuman Killian and his cronies, Tony, his pal Iron Patriot, played by Don Cheadle, and a bunch of automated iron suits with the president and Pepper's lives hanging literally in balance. The president is saved, but Pepper falls into a pit of lava, seemingly to her death. Killian is about to kill Tony, but then Pepper rises up from the depths of hell. Metaphorically. Uh, and now is all temporarily superpowered. She does some ass-kicking in like two minutes or less. Uh, then they kick ass together. Tony destroys his Iron Man suits and removes his arc reactor. Day is saved. It's complicated. Well, I think you just really wanted to do
0: a plot line.
1: I was like, <laughs> I did this before I rewatched it. and I was like, oh boy, there's so many threads here. <laughs> um, all
0: right, so let's... Talk about yes. action figures, Let's shall do we? Because yes. you and I had a discussion, and you were telling me a lot about this. So, as you talked about in the female action figures episode, Rebecca Hall's character was originally meant to be the main villain, but the director was pressured by studio execs that a female villain action figure wouldn't sell. And I'm sure those Guy Pierce action figures left off the shelf. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. Uh huh. Sure. Um, and Marvel Entertainment CEO at the time Ike Permitter, said there was an early draft of Iron Man three where we had an inkling of a problem, which is that we had a female character who was the villain in the draft. We had finished the script and we were given no holds barred memos saying that cannot stand and we've changed our minds because after consulting we've decided that those toys won't sell as well if it is female. So we had to change the entire script because of toy making. Now that's not Feige, that's Marvel corporate, but now you don't have the problem anymore.
1: Yeah, so it was really frustrating I think for a lot of people involved in the film. I know uh Robert Downey Jr. was like, no, you got to give her more of a role. And Rebecca holiday accepted it on kind of a different... Which happens a lot. Unfortunately. And especially to women. Unfortunately. Uh, Yeah, you can see her action figure episode for more on that. Um, And then I also wanted to say an interesting thing about Pepper Potts. As well, she spends most of her time being damseled in this movie and every other Iron Man. Yes. Um... She, although she is painted as an extremely business-savvy and competent woman. According to some internet sleuths, she kills the most people. She kills more people than Iron Man, on screen at least. She kills Ironmonger and Killian. Iron Man has only killed Ebony Maw on screen. Um, and then, yeah, I could come back and talk about her character. Because she's painted as sort of a nag. Like, she's never happy with Tony. Because, well, like, the peltry. <laughs> yeah, well, that's another thing is a lot of people can't separate her from Gwyneth Paltrow. Um, she is used to make Tony feel jealous by the villain. She does spend most of the movie in distress. She's captured, tortured, and experimented on as bait for Tony. And then there's a lot of uh, talk about fake feminism right. and how just because she got to kick ass for two minutes or less that it's like execs are pointing to it. Look how feminist we are. right? But it ignores everything else. Which was kind of the complaint for uh in in game. Uh is it in game or is it in the Yeah, yeah, it it's is. in game. Oh,
0: okay. What is wrong with you today?
1: <sighs> I've no. seen a lot of movies yes. No, friend. so with
0: in game where they have that one giant yeah. scene but they're like, "Hey, look, women. Like you didn't good job. Earn it." It's just
1: so <laughs> token. Yeah. yeah, 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 for sure. Um and then Tony, the character as well, is, I mean, he's a womanizer. He says a lot of things in the movie that are not great. Um there's like a beauty pageant that's not explained where there's all these women in bikinis running around. So just things like that. Um, and then random trivia, I didn't know this, Robert Downey Jr. got injured in the middle of filming and was down for the count for six weeks. And since they couldn't hold up production for that long, the creators made up a completely digital version of him for shots that didn't require dialogue or close-ups. So you can try to find the fake Tony Stark in there. Ooh. Um But yeah, that was just a quick look at another superhero holiday movie. <laughs> Just admit it. You just want to talk about the MCU. I did. I did. And we do have a tiny, tiny bit more about the MCU. But first, (laughs) one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Back, thank you, sponsor, and we're back with a special mention: Spider Verse, Spider-Man into the Spider Verse.
0: Oh, y'all! I'm gonna—I really am gonna live stream I, your
1: your reaction. The joy I feel watching that movie—it, it's exhilarating. It makes my face hurt. It's um, like
0: you—you're watching it for the first time. I know the shock
1: that you go through, the emotions. I, go, I go through the Every whole time. Journey. It does. Um, and yes, I was. This is the movie I chose for Movie Crush, right? Uh, the podcast by our friend Chuck. Um. And eventually he had to, he was like, Andy, we've got to stop talking. <laughs> like, but, but I haven't told you about the, the other things, the frame rate. Let me talk more about the frame rate. Um, but I did want to mention it because it's one of my favorite movies of all time. And it takes place at Christmas. Um, if you remember, Chris Pine's OG Spider Man is featured on a holiday album in the movie. And the cast actually recorded several holiday songs that you can listen to. And by, if you want, um, including Spidey. It's cold outside. Swing around the mistletoe. Silent night. You're welcome. Joy to the world that I just saved. Spidey the snowman is beginning to look a lot like a non denominational holiday. Yeah,
0: I think the only part that I realized it was holiday was because that song randomly comes on yes. in the security guard's room. Yes, and then that's it. Yeah,
1: <laughs> but it's a holiday. There's snow. There's Christmas trees. If you look, um, it's diverse. It's gorgeous. It has fleshed out female. Badass, vulnerable characters like Spider-Gwen, Penny Parker, Aunt May, Doc Ock. What yeah, a great villain. It was a good villain. Yeah. So, Phil Lord and Christopher Miller's goal
0: for the film, inspire young people to become heroes, inspire grown-ups to help them do it, and remind us all that you don't need to be bitten by radioactive spiders to do your part. You are powerful, and we are counting on you. Yes. I'm pointing to Annie right now.
1: Yes. So. <laughs> what does he say? Not you necessarily. Probably metaphorically speaking. Uh, no, 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 no. no. They, they're counting on you necessarily. Um, but yeah, that's uh, just what we wanted to say about yeah. some less traditional holiday movies. Well, yeah. So
0: there you go. Our not-so-Christmassy Christmas movies, which is the way I like it. I will tell you once again, I do do a lot of like, I said do-do, uh, a lot of horror movies yeah. during this time uh-huh. because I do not like, I'm not a fan of the season. I'm not, I'm not trying to be a, a Grinch, necessarily. <laughs> but, you know, you have to cope with things the way you can cope with it. Uh-huh. Uh, so let us know your not so Christmasy Christmas movie recommendations. And I would also consider Die Hard, which I know has been a debate. Action movie that takes
1: place at Christmas. Yes, yes.
0: and all, a lot of the Harry Potters as Christmas movies as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we watched you know Deathly Hallows a little part bit. One. I little feel like bit the, first, the, the first, the first one two is, are the ones yeah. that I would consider pretty you know, Christmas. Happy Christmas, Harry. Yeah, I think you know. he does. It. it is Christmas at one point in Deathly Hallows yeah. Part One, though. Is it? Yeah, when he goes to visit his parents' grave, it's Christmas. That's right. That's right.
0: So yeah, let us know your recommendations because I would love to know more and to watch more movies that are not. Yes. The Netflix movies that I'm seeing. <laughs> right. I don't I don't want to watch those.
1: Yes, and let us know what we should do for our next feminist movie Friday. And also if you have any feminist movie thoughts, I know we moved through those pretty quickly. Uh, but <laughs> so if you have any thoughts about them that we missed, we would love to hear them. You can email us at stuffmedia stuff at iHeartMedia.com. You can find us on Instagram at stuff I'm never told you and on Twitter at momstuffpodcast. Podcast. Thanks, as always, to our super producer, Andrew Howard. Mm Mm-hmm. Thanks to you for listening. Mm Mm-hmm. Stuff Mom Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
0: Jingle bells, Batman spells, Robin laid an egg. No? Okay. Okay.